My guest today is Emily Wrights, author, speaker, mother of a child with type 1 diabetes. And a warning in case you have little ones around, this episode contains some adult language. Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. My miracle baby, because I think that's a nicer thing to say than my baby that taught me you can get pregnant when you're breastfeeding. <laughs> Had I known a million people would read it overnight, I wouldn't have called it I am grateful now, Ephos. I just want you to say, oh yeah, I'm tired too, or I know I was so, you know, like you don't, you can offer solidarity to people without jumping in with unsolicited advice. And if we can't get it out, but it's when someone, like you say, tells you that your feelings are wrong, your feelings are your feelings. And I'm much kinder to myself now than I was when I had new babies you know 15 page sleep plan and then it's it works because you've left your child to scream until they fall asleep that's considered working and as soon as I started to think you know is it safe is it respectful does it feel right it changed everything This episode of Tits Up is sponsored by Booby Foods, all natural and organic foods to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. So here today to share her Tits Up story is Emily Wrights from New Zealand. Emily's a wife, a mum of two beautiful boys, a writer and author of Rants in the Dark and Is It Bedtime Yet? And I was just going to say, I've got my copy of Is It Bedtime Yet? which is just hilarious. And I love Emily's work because she's an OBS woman. She tells it like it is and calls out the BS if she sees it. And when she's not being serious, she is bloody hilarious. Most of all, I love what a great advocate Emily is for her boys, especially her son, Eddie, who has serious medical issues. And I'll be talking to Emily about women, motherhood, rage and unconditional love. So welcome, Emily. Oh, thank you so much. That's such a nice introduction. <laughs> So first up, Emily, can you tell us, was there a tits up moment that started you ranting or is that raging about motherhood? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I had my second um, baby very soon after my first baby. Um, I call my second boy um, my miracle baby because I think that's a nicer thing to say than my baby that taught me you can get pregnant when you're breastfeeding. <laughs> So, I've, got, I've got a youngest child that I call our bonus baby. <laughs> I call them the afterthought, you know, when I have <laughs> an 18 year old and two girls who are, you know, eight and 10. And, and I, you know, it was a surprise. Like you were yeah. married. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so when my second baby came along so soon after my first, and my first was you know, in and out of hospital a lot. I didn't feel ready to have another baby so soon. Um, but one night I was um, 
trying to um, get one of them to sleep. And, you know, when they're both so little, it's kind of this tag team. Like I would get one to sleep and then the other one would start screaming (laughs) and I would get that one to sleep and then the other one would wake up. And I just felt like all night I was awake and I went to the bathroom and I came back and the kids were all spread out across my bed and there was no room for me to get in. And I just had this total meltdown about like, there's no room for me in my own bed. And um, so I complained about it on Facebook and um, a family member responded to me and said, oh, just be grateful for your boys, you know, be grateful that you have these moments and you're so lucky to have them. And I just felt so angry because I was like, I am grateful, but I'm really tired. Just leave me alone. (laughs) So I wrote this um, piece like, had I known a million people would read it overnight, I wouldn't have called it, I am grateful now F off. (laughs) But um, (laughs) one of those and overnight, it seems like the other half of the world who don't swear, who are really nice people, read your work, don't they? million comments and it's and it's yeah. like, oh my god and and were they you know really polarized from they was it was happened. overwhelmingly positive I think a lot of like most of it was just like oh my gosh I feel this way I'm so sick of being told to cherish every moment these are the best days of your life all this because as mothers we know that we know how lucky we are we are hugely grateful we know that these moments are incredible but you know this there's this binary view around parenting that it has to be all amazing or if you dare say there are parts that you don't enjoy it makes you a a bad mother and I guess what I was trying to say is it just makes you human to not love every second of it. But that doesn't mean you don't adore and love your babies. Um, you know, like I want to exist in this parenting world where you can say, oh, my kids kicked me all night. I'm so tired without somebody jumping down your throat about, well, don't co-sleep then. Don't have them in your bed. Go and do this, do that. I'm like, I don't want advice. I just want you to say, oh, yeah, I'm tired too. Or I know I was so, you know, like you don't, you can offer solidarity to people without jumping in with unsolicited advice, without lecturing them on what they should be doing, without minimizing their feelings. Because I think that's where a lot of the rage in motherhood comes from, from constantly being silenced and constantly being sort of gaslit and told your um, feelings don't matter or you should be happier, you should be more grateful, you should be all these things. You know, we don't expect anybody else except mothers to be like that. We want, you know, it seems like society wants mothers to be one way and we're not, we're human beings. You know, we're going to be messy and upset sometimes and happy sometimes and grateful and annoyed and you know we're all of those things yeah we have that whole range of emotions don't we I mean and it's human and if we can't get it out but it's when someone like you say tells you that your feelings are wrong your feelings are your feelings yeah and it really when you are continually telling mums when they're reaching out and saying oh my gosh, I didn't realize that would be this hard or sometimes my baby makes me want to scream or, you know, something like that. If you immediately say to them, 
no, you should just be grateful or you should do this or that or anything, you know, it really does silence them and it makes mums start to say, well, maybe I shouldn't ever talk about how I'm feeling. And then they go to coffee group and when they all talk about how's, who, how are, how's everyone doing, they all go quiet and don't say how they're really feeling. And then the other mum in coffee group thinks, oh, well, she's got, got it together, so I'm a bad mum. And, the you know, like it's just this it sort of... Choice, doesn't it? Yes. That feeling of not being good enough. I know I... Yes. I once visited three mums from suburb. Well, it was in city Melbourne, you know, in the same block almost within a fortnight and each one of these women they had babies the same age you know young babies and each one of them said to me you know they were bursting into tears and telling me how hard it was and I said have you talked about this in your mum's group because the health centre sisters run a mum's group and each one of those women said oh no everyone else is so together you know and yeah. people saying oh I'm really loving this you know another mum said to me she brought it up you know this is really bloody hard and you know, the other mum's silence just saying, oh, I really enjoy this. I'm really loving my baby as though she wasn't. She said she felt she couldn't say anything. Yeah. Yet, you know, I said always look for the mother who isn't saying anything because she's probably the mum who's having a rough time too and feels that she can't, you know, jump up and say, oh, you know, breastfeeding's easy. My baby sleeps mm. 24 hours a day or whatever the hell mm. babies do. Yeah. And it's probably the other mother who can't say anything that also feels, you know, yeah. and you know, and and you know, I wrote that blog post uh, seven years ago now, and I still get emails about it. Like I still get um, people writing to me, having just read it, and even though I, I wrote it so long ago, and then all this time, I've never met a mum who hasn't said oh yeah, it was, there were parts of it that were so hard. Um, I've never met a mum who's just been like from start to finish or there's no finish with parenting, is there? But the whole, you know, the whole baby period, you know, I've never met someone who's been like every second was incredible. Um, no mother who's in it. Like I meet a couple of sort of grandparents who... <laughs> beautiful memories later on and we try and I think yeah. sometimes with with a few that aren't so nice some of the <laughs> have put them in a box somewhere back in our brain that you know yeah. we don't even want to go there I've had a few where I've been like to be fair that was like 60 years ago maybe your memory isn't cool. <laughs> um I have thought that a few times with some of the things people have said but in general when you talk to a mum and she lets down her, you know, all her fears around being judged, um, being seen as not a good enough mum, all those things, it being seen as not enough, once she lets down those guards and everything, it's like I've always had mums say to me, oh, yeah, there were days where I cried in the shower um, or days where I just didn't want to get out of bed and you know, I think that that's the reality of parenting young babies. It's an absolute joy. You look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, how did this perfect little creature come out of me? And then an hour later, you're like, 
oh my gosh, can someone please get rid of this horrific creature? <laughs> because I need to, I just need two minutes to myself. <laughs> and, and neither of those feelings are right or wrong. You know, it's like you're there the whole time with your baby. Like I used to be, have this real idea that I was a bad mum because I had these feelings of like, oh my gosh, I miss my old life. I miss sleeping, I miss having my husband all to myself, you know, all these feelings. And I thought it made me a bad mum. And I realize now that I have a six and eight year old that I was always there for my kids. And I was their loving mum right up until, I mean, I still am, but when they were babies and they woke up during the night, no matter how tired I was, I still cuddled them back to sleep sung to them read to them I was there for them and I think when they look back on that time they're not going to think like oh mum did this or that they're going to remember that safe feeling of she was always there for me and I'm much kinder to myself now than I was when I had new babies yeah perspective and distance make a difference don't they a huge difference and people told me this at the time and I just didn't believe them (laughs) you can't see any light you know it's just this long dark tunnel and if you do see a light you think goodness me it's a train coming for me (laughs) that is so true I mean I was so sleep deprived I just was so I was barely getting any sleep and I just felt like because I was publicly talking about not getting any sleep which I'm very glad that I did because I think there are a lot of people who have that a lot of mums and dads who have that extreme level of sleep deprivation, like my child was only sleeping, my youngest was only sleeping like sort of 45 minutes at a time. And um, that was it for like years. And I think there are some people um, who have an easier time with sleep than others, but there are many, many people who are getting no sleep whatsoever. And so I'm glad I talked about it um, publicly, but it also meant I had a lot of people um, giving me sleep advice constantly, and most of it was sleep training. Um, There's just such an enormous industry built around making money um, through sleep training. Um, so I found that just utterly overwhelming to have almost every second, third interaction be telling me I need to put my baby in the other room. I need to leave them to cry. I need to do this. I need to stop breastfeeding. I need to, you know, all these things. And I thought it's, I really wished that my Nana was still alive because I wanted to talk to her about it because I thought surely she did not go through this wall of noise of people trying to say for just $199 I can give you a tailored plan to your child and all this you know like I just thought I wanted to know can I return to that time what would that be like to not have all this you know noise around sleep to just have people who were saying oh, well, have a nap downstairs, I'll rock the baby or I'll, you know. I just remember the very last thing my nana said to me before she passed was, um, you can 
never love a baby too much. You can never cuddle a baby too much. And that's the only parenting advice I I ever got from her because I didn't have babies when she passed away. But that one thing has been my driving force for all my parenting. No matter how tired I was, if I cuddled my baby, I felt I know how to do this. I know how to love my baby. I may not know know how to do other stuff but I know how to love my baby and that was the single greatest piece of advice around sleep that I ever got was just I can cuddle my baby I can love my baby and I can you know I can be the the parent that they need right now and I'm really happy that I never that I stuck to those instincts that I had around sleep Oh, that's so lovely, isn't it? And when you have older ladies, and I always say to people, if they're not offering to come and help you have a nap or do an overnighter for you, not that they necessarily, you know, that's not Mm. necessarily the ideal, but, you know, it might be that, that you just can go to bed and have one really good sleep or they're not at least bringing casseroles, they can shut the F up. (laughs) Yes, a thousand percent. I mean, one thing my mother-in-law did that was amazing for me was she would come over after after she finished work and just be there for that like sort of witching hour. She would just kind of potter around with us, help, you know, bath baby, help warm up the house, maybe do like, you know, she would often um, help like change some nappies and things like that while my husband cooked because he enjoyed cooking. It was a stress relief and she'd come over and I'd, I'd go straight down to lay down and she'd, kind of potter around with the baby bath the baby do nappies things like that and I mean it was a godsend because she never judged me about anything she was just there with practical tangible help and then once he was old enough um I think once he was about three and a half months or something and we um she said to me why don't you come over and stay the night and I stayed the night and breastfed through the night but then in the morning when she took baby downstairs and I got to sleep in you know things like that were just incredible for me and that non-judgmental tangible help meant everything to me you know just being wrapped up in that you know having someone mother you as you mother your child is a really beautiful thing it's so beautiful and it's really what mothers need you know the mothers need to be mothered so you know these pressures that are there there's like you say there's so much pressure around sleep from random people you know they might be on the internet on the other side of the world telling you about you know how you mm. should sleep train your child because you daren't complain that you're exhausted mm. it's not your own fault you brought it on yourself anyway in their minds yeah so where do you think this is all coming from I mean and what other pressures are there on mums I think that when it comes to sleep consultant sleep training that type of thing I think a lot of it is just because there's so much money to be made I think when I think about how much money I've spent and like trying to get my kids to sleep um you know like I got the baby shusha and I got the lula doll and I got the you know I got those um swaddle things that zip up I did a floor bed I did it you know like I've literally done every possible thing to get my kids to sleep um and you know I've even um gone to a sleep consultant and it was just this hilarious comical 
you know, thing of I paid like a hundred and something dollars for a, uh, a carefully planned thing for my child and it arrived and it was like 32 pages of routine and it was just the most anxiety inducing awful thing I think I basically had a nervous breakdown two days and it was it like sucked all the joy out of parenting it was like put your baby down for one hour and a half then pick them up do 20 minutes tummy time do blood it was so rigid and restricted and I was doing it and then I got to like the third day or something and I was just like a mess and then I went to follow the plan and they had some other kid's name in it so I guess all they do is like find and replace the name of the (laughs) child and then just stick your kid in and I thought this is bloody insane like why am I doing this to myself but the thing is I know why because they have such a good marketing campaign. Like they just literally, they're predatory. They go into, you know, the mum groups of like people with three-week-old babies, four-week-old, five-week-old babies and start telling them their babies should be sleeping through the night by now. And if you have, an, a, you know, a nine-month-old baby and you've been told since they were three weeks old that they should be sleeping through the night, by nine months, you're starting to go, is there something wrong with my baby? Is there something wrong with me? Oh, I have to handle this problem now. You know, they pathologize sleep to make it seem like any normal infant sleep behavior is wrong and a sign of something bad. But of course, they can fix it if you just give them enough money. And, you know, I remember one sleep consultant um, wrote a post about me and they said, um, you know, Emily Wrights is really popular with mums, but I do want to say that um, it's a real shame her children will have such an awful time because she's chosen to not prioritise their sleep and what? not try to help them get to sleep. And she put, this is why um, she has PND and any mother who has PND, um, it's due to them not getting a sleep consultant and not getting Um, their child to have sleep and then she said that you know my son's health problems could be due to sleep you know and I I remember looking at that and I thought there's really nothing they won't do like there's nothing they won't say or do to get money that's just appalling isn't it I mean really awful and my sad thing about a lot of sleep consultants is they're not I mean and I've had mums ask me about baby sleep and I've got a book about sleep but I'm not trying to pathologize baby sleep but Mm. What I've, what I've found is that you can go online and do a course to be a baby sleep trainer and, you know, you get a certificate and it might have been like almost a weekend course or something like that and you just go, what the hell is this about? And I was actually invited at one stage to join some international association of sleep consultants and I thought, no freaking way, like... It's just yeah. awful. And it, there's no regulation of that industry, I guess. No just- regulation. No regulation. And I mean, some of them are not even doing a course. They're just saying, I'm a sleep consultant. Mm-hmm. And, no health you know, background, no early childhood background. So even the normal development, or like you say, if a mum's got P&D, mm-hmm. you need to be able to refer that mother to the right places. And it's not about mother blaming. I mean, that is P&D is an illness. It's not exactly yeah and I mean the thing is when all they're doing is saying 
you know, tell me a little bit about your child, um, you know, and you go, oh, my son is seven months old and he wakes three times a night and he's breastfed. And they come back and say, okay, my advice is to put them on formula and here's a, you know, 15 page sleep plan. And then if it works because you've left your child to scream until they fall asleep, that's considered working. But if it works, then great. The sleep consultant can say, see, it worked. I'm a good sleep consultant. It worked. If it doesn't work, they turn around to the mum and say, you didn't follow it properly. Consistency. So consistency. It's, it's all about consistency. <laughs> You've got to just keep at it, you know. And that's what I found. I was almost because I spoke out about sleep consultants because I saw that predatory behavior. Um, what I really found that I started to be the person that people were coming to saying, I can't cope. I've tried to do what the sleep consultant told me. It's making me feel suicidal. I'm starting to not feel, um, I'm starting to feel numb to feelings about my child and all this. And I just saw the real danger in turning your whole, like encouraging people to turn their whole um, parenting experience into this obsession about getting their child into a sleep routine that probably isn't going to work anyway like there was there was one woman who had spent two weeks inside in the dark she told me because her sleep consultant said it was the only way her, her child was going to have day naps now I have a six-year-old now he's never had day naps he just would not sleep during the day it's just part of his personality it never changed you know and he's a healthy happy child but he just didn't need as much sleep as his brother. And it's just how it was. As adults, there are some of us who need more sleep than others. I mean, some people need their eight hours. Other people might travel pretty well on five or six hours. We all just have different, you know, sleep needs and requirements. Yeah. Anyway. But you're talking about your second son. My second son at six months gave up all daytime sleeps. He'd have eight hours out of any 24 at six months old. And he was already crawling, you know, and I would put the two-year-old down for his nap because he was having a nap mm -hmm. and I'd pull the curtains around and make it dark. I'd hop into bed and put him on the boob, pretending it was the middle of the night, thinking, well, he'll just go back to sleep because he'll yeah. sleep. I'd have a boob, all right, and then he'd put his head up like a yeah. caterpillar yeah. and he was ready to chat and ready to go. And I, I used to feel like I'd just given him a dose of jet fuel because... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my... My second son was exactly the same, yet my first son was still having naps during the day when he started school, you know, <laughs> so each child is different. And I thought, if you already feel completely overwhelmed, you're exhausted, you have severe sleep deprivation, you're on the verge of, you know, maybe having PND symptoms or you're already having them, and then you get told, spend two weeks inside in the dark, never getting fresh air, never going for a walk, focus everything on getting these ridiculous day naps. You know, that's so bad for a mum. That's it's so Putting that baby in the pram or a front pack and just going for a walk. And if the, exactly. baby falls asleep, the baby falls asleep and if he doesn't, he doesn't, but she's had her, you know, and she's still got her connection with that baby. And anyway, now there is actually evidence around sleep pressure and it's better for babies to be just living the life that you live. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think when I was seeing all these stories, 
I was just like, this just isn't right. Mm. Like, I thought they have very good PR and that they're often on TV and stuff as they call them the baby whisperer, the baby sleep person and all this. And then the they film, you know, these mums going, oh yeah, it totally worked. And the thing was what I would often find is when somebody would say to me, oh yeah, my baby, I got a sleep consultant and my baby's sleeping through the night now. Two weeks later, their baby was back doing the exact same thing it was before. Yes, like cold or they'll get a new tooth and it all goes pear shaped. Yeah, exactly. And then they say, Oh, you need to just get back on doing the thing. And I'm like, Well, that means every three weeks you've got a house where everyone's screaming and upset for a whole week. And then you get two weeks where that doesn't happen. And then you get one week of that. And I thought, Is that I just can't. It's not a life, is it, for a parent with a baby? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I just think, you know, one of the really hard things I think is you have because of the internet and because of everything like that you have so many many things um so much information constantly like I was constantly being told um you know um swaddle them don't swaddle them pick them up put them down have them in the front pack don't have them in the front pack all these things and I remember just wanting to scream and then I remember um seeing your um one of your posts about the three things you should ask around advice and you said um is it safe um is it respectful I think it was um yeah safe respectful and there was another one but does it feel right for you and does it feel right that was the main one and when I uh, read that it was just like a bolt out of the blue I like suddenly thought oh my gosh I'm the expert like this is my baby I know this baby I grew this baby this baby shares my cells and my heart and it's got my freckles and it's you know I know this baby and as soon as I started to think you know, is it safe? Is it respectful? Does it feel right? It changed everything because when people were coming to me with things like, you know, oh, um, if they vomit in their cots, it's okay. Just put a towel in there and then, you know, that'll, they'll be all right till the morning. And I would just be like, not safe, not respectful. And that feels fucking horrible. There's no way I'm doing that. Or like when they would say, put a lock on the door you know, and I'd be like, not safe, not respectful, doesn't feel right, you know, and I, even now, my kids are eight and six, and I'm still going by that, and to me, just having that framework of, like, how do you cut through all the bullshit, you go, okay, what, I have my values, I have the way I want to be a mum, and I can use those to work out what's the best thing for my child. Because ultimately, all of my son's health problems and all of the things my two boys have been through, it's taught me that I'm the advocate. I'm their safe place. I'm the person that has to protect them. And so my values um, are their protection. Newborns need to be fed around the clock and the mama milk machine does not stop, day or night. The average baby requires at least nine hours of hands-on care a day. 
And that doesn't include all the extra tasks of washing, cooking and basic self-care, like simply having a shower that goes with a new addition to your family. As you breastfeed and care for your baby, feeding yourself is often the last thing you can manage. And this is why I, Pinky, I'm an international board certified lactation consultant, created delicious booby foods. So far, booby brickies and booby brekkie to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. As a nourishing snack, an analysis by Victoria University Melbourne found that Pinky's booby foods can be a helpful nutritional complement to a healthy balanced diet. And because we know that everything mothers eat will be passed to their baby through breast milk, booby bickies and booby brekkie are made from all natural and organic ingredients with no preservatives or additives. You can download my free ebook, Making More Mummy Milk Naturally, and you'll get 15% off any purchase when you order booby bickies, booby brekkie, or any of the carefully curated breastfeeding accessories at www.boobyfoods.com.au. Use the code TITSUP at checkout to receive your 15% discount. Absolutely. Yep. And you are the advocate and you're the only constant when you have a child who is medically fragile. I mean, do you want to go personally now into that because you have a child who, you know, little Eddie was here. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's yeah. his own advocacy now. He's amazing. But, you know, when, yeah. when you have a newborn, I mean, my first child was, you know, had some medical issues and it did, it took a little awakening to think, you're the constant in that child's life. You have to be their advocate. You know them the best. You are the expert about your well child. And when they're not well, you know, you have to reach out. But tell us yeah. a little bit about Eddie's story and how that was for you. Yeah. So when my first baby, Eddie, was born, um, he was very unwell right from birth. So when he came, when he was born, he wasn't breathing well um, and was taken away from us, helped to breathe and then he came home with us a couple of days later but quite quickly we could tell there was something wrong with the way that he breathed his chest would sink right in and almost touch his back um he would croak you know and they thought it was strider at first but we were like there's something going on so we kept taking him in to to um, the doctor and saying there's, there's something wrong and our midwife was really great she helped advocate for us and then it all happened like very fast he was about two months old where they said you're right there is something wrong he had surgery on his trachea um, that day that we took him in and they agreed with us that there was something wrong um, he went into intensive care and basically from then on till he was about four and a half he was having surgeries and having work done on his trachea and he was immune compromised um basically a cold or anything like that um he had the start of a cold once and it and it collapsed his trachea he had emergency surgery um so it was a really terrible time um and then when he was about five he got better and they decided that actually he could come off the chronic care plan at the hospital um and then at six he got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 
So he's had a very difficult time and he's always been immune compromised through all of this um, process, which is probably why, you know, type one diabetes probably isn't that surprising. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a really, I mean, there's nothing worse than seeing your baby struggle. Like there's nothing worse than thinking you're going to lose your baby. And we've had that a few times now um most recently when he went into a diabetic coma when he was diagnosed with type one I mean that was terrifying just I had this thought of I, I thought we got through okay and and now I'm, he's going to be taken from me you know it was just the worst feeling in the world um but I think it has taught me an enormous amount about the type of parent I want to be and I've been very lucky to have nurses and midwives um, give me advice through this and I remember you know once there are two pieces of advice that really stand out for me and one was when um, Eddie was in ICU and he was just covered in tubes and I couldn't pick him up like I just couldn't touch him because there wasn't a part of his body that didn't have something on it and I said to the nurse, um, I, I don't know how to look after a baby that's this sick. Like, I don't know how to look after my own baby. How do I do this? How do I look after him? And she said to me, sorry, she said, all you need to do is love him. And it was so powerful because I thought I can do that. I can definitely do that. And that's kind of the approach that I've always had, no matter how scared I get for his health, no matter how overwhelmed I feel, no matter how angry I feel at how unfair it is, I just love him and I know how to do that. Oh, <laughs> and I'm so lucky. I'm tearing up too. <laughs> I just go, oh my God, I can't, you know, it's just, it's the yeah. hardest thing as a mother to know that your child is being hurt to make him better too isn't it it's yeah horrible horrible I mean, type 1 diabetes is incredibly common it's um you know after asthma it's you know one of the most common um things that can happen to a child that's potentially fatal um or like a lifelong chronic illness um but it's I had no idea before he got had diabetes. Like I knew nothing about diabetes. And I I remember when they told me, I said, Oh, okay, how do we get rid of it? And oh. they were like, No, there's no, you know, and I it's it's amazed me a year and a half into this journey, how behind closed doors there's all these warrior kids and warrior mums who are just doing this behind the scenes and you just have no idea like they're holding their babies down and giving them injections that they measure themselves and I mean insulin is incredible but if you go over a point or two you can you know you can put your child into a coma basically like it's a very dangerous drug yet we're all drawing it at three in the morning half asleep trying to you know like this is just life as a t1 parent and it blows my mind that all these mums and dads are just doing this um and it 
it's just really reminded me that, you know, we just don't know what's happening in people's homes and the amazing lengths they're going to to protect their children. And it's taught me, you know, to have a lot of empathy for other parents because we just don't know what they're facing. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's taught Eddie... I mean, Eddie is a very gentle, kind child and he always has been. And I think part of that is being ill for so long. He's seen and made friends with so many children who didn't make it out of the children's ward. And so as hard as it is, how, as awful as it is, I just think at least I can still hold my baby and have my baby with me when a lot of parents don't have that. And... I think that there are lessons to learn around, um, you know, Eddie doesn't exist to teach lessons or anything like that. But I think no matter what way you parent, you learn so much from your child. And having my children has taught me to just follow their lead and that they can teach me more than anybody else as to how they need to be parented. They can show me how they need to be parented and, I can do that for them. I can love them and I can parent them the way they need. I can meet them where they need me. And that's beautiful because that's so much about, you know, I think there's so much pressure in our, you know, now in our world to have children who are high achieving, who are, you know, good at sports or whatever the hell, you know, I'm, I'm reading things, yeah. of, you know, people with three-year-olds teaching them about the solar system. And I think, oh God, just love them. <laughs> whatever you like but you know just that's not the priority yeah. the priority is to keep this child safe and to listen to that child and that beautiful mm. connection that you've got because you resisted all that bs in the beginning imagine if you had left eddie to mm. put himself out in the night you might not have an eddie exactly and i mean i think i think that there's an intense amount of ableism um around sleep training and a lot of um a lot of the parenting sort of advice out there is I think is very you know ableism is is around how um disabled people and people with chronic illnesses and high health needs and medically fragile people and children how they are treated in society and I think that you know when you have people saying um put a child to sleep and no matter how much they scream um, just don't go in because sleep is the most important thing you know they're not considering the fact that that child might have a sensory or auditory processing disorder which means that they are genuinely distressed by the noise in the room or the lack of noise in the room or when they say every child needs to sleep the x amount of hours from this time to this time or else they're a you know quote bad baby or whatever they're not a good baby are depriving your child of learning this skill mm. oh yeah yeah and, you know yeah and that if they don't self-soothe their you know your um they never will and that's your fault and I mean I think a lot of that um really impacts very heavily on children who are neurodivergent who have um you know autism or sensory processing disorder dyspraxia auditory processing disorder because it's saying that they have to operate their brains the same way as an atypical like any other 
um, somebody who doesn't have the same neurological challenges um, or has different neurotypes to them. And I think when you have um, children with really high health needs, like or medically fragile children like Eddie, like we have to wake up every two hours to check his blood glucose level and he's awake a lot because we're doing you know because he's having highs or lows and this idea that you should you know um only have one way of raising a child and if you divert from that then you're a bad parent and your child has to be sleeping or doing things like that I mean it's putting lives at risk it really is and it's taking away from children the individual beauty and you know all of the wonderful things about them and you know I think if I wasn't so in tune with my babies from sleeping with them all the time or just it's not even co-sleeping which we did um or still do (laughs) but it's um it's just the fact that I could tune out all of the negativity after a while all of the unsolicited advice and all the really predatory kind of commentary around sleep and everything once I could tune that out and just tune into my child I started to really notice things about them and their health and everything that was I believe that's the reason why I could pick up that he was starting to Um, get sick or you know his um, breathing was exasperated or even the type 1 diabetes which we went to a GP twice and said there's something not right and they sent us home twice unfortunately so we didn't pick it up in time before he went um, before he got really really sick but I think there is a real benefit in tuning out those voices and just tuning into your child because this is how we can pick up when something's wrong, um, but also how we can support our children if they're medically fragile, if they're disabled, if they're high health needs. Um, you know, that that I think is crucial. And I do see a lot of ableism in those circles around the perfect child or what a perfect child is. And it's a child that... Um, does all of these things according to what somebody has decided is the right thing for babies and I just think it's really sad because all babies all children are precious even if they can't do the same things other children can absolutely and I also think for health professionals who might be listening when you say you took Eddie to the doctor twice and were dismissed I've heard that a lot and I and I really think we need to listen to the mother Yes, yeah. I mean, I I was told that it was my anxiety around him being sick. And I think that, you know, I do think I developed a bit of maybe a bit of PTSD from, from some of the seeing Eddie almost die. But at the same time, I was right that he was really sick and I wasn't imagining it. Um, and you know, if they had have just done a type one, if they had have just done a diabetes test, which takes about three seconds, he would have been diagnosed then and there and he wouldn't have kidney damage and other things that happened as a result of him not being diagnosed for so long. Um, and like, it's, it's hard. I would also say to mums that just really trust your instincts because the second time I went in, I felt like, oh, you know, should I be rocking the boat? But I'm sure, I'm sure there's something wrong. 
And then the third time we thought, okay, let's just take him to emergency. You know, like I really think something's wrong. And I'm so glad we stuck to our instincts because we were told a few hours later and he would have died. So you what, know. What, what happened? Yeah, so it's great to talk about symptoms. So what happened first is Eddie started wetting the bed, um, something he hadn't done before. Um, then he started to have wee accidents during the day. Um, he was drinking heaps of water, drinking his water bottle and then asking me to refill it. And, yeah and you know it, it's really easy to look at these symptoms sort of in isolation like I beat up myself a lot after going why didn't I pick up that something was you know that it was diabetes or something but I just didn't know and when your child is weighing a lot you think oh maybe it's a you know you and or if they're really thirsty you think maybe it's growing they're just growing up or they're expending a lot of energy and then he was tired a lot. He was falling asleep quite soon after school, but um, he's always been a kid who needs a lot of sleep, you know. Um, so all of those sort of combined and he started to lose weight. Um, so the thing is they they can't retain, like the water runs through them kind of thing when it comes to diabetes and um, that thirstiness, that kind of feeling. Um, he had a sore tummy um, and had had gastro so we just thought it was like part of that but the key symptoms with type 1 are urinating a lot needing a lot of water being thirsty a lot having a sore tummy being sluggish losing weight you know those are the things and now having shared Eddie's type 1 journey with his permission he was very keen for us to talk about it publicly um, I probably have once a week a mum tells me because of what I read from Eddie um, I got my son tested when he started wetting the bed and he has type 1 you know so it's a wow yeah it does my thing is whatever I say to mums just get the test it literally is not that invasive they prick your finger and, you know, it takes two seconds, just get it just for peace of mind, you know, like yeah. it's, it's easy to do. And the alternative, like you can just go so far down so quickly with type one diabetes. Like I, yeah, you just don't have a lot of time. By the time you're getting those symptoms, there's already something yes. in progress. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So I always say, to parents just ask for the test just be that squeaky wheel and if they say no just yeah go somewhere else and yeah. yeah and the other thing I often say is just weighing children like we weigh our kids we don't tell them what the number is or anything like that you don't need to tell them what they weigh or anything like that but the reason why we started doing that is it can be really hard when you see your child every day to be able to tell if they're losing weight and losing weight really quickly is a sign that something's wrong in the body. Um, and sometimes it's hard to tell. So that's another thing that we do is, um, or just making sure each time you go to the GP, your child's weighed. Oh, that's so. good. Cool, then you've got a record. You've got it written down and you see that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. yeah. And it's not like you're going to the GP every week anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah just to get that get that check yeah yeah that's great and how's it how's it for ham having a brother with special needs yeah i mean we um so uh ham is um neurodivergent so um he has um a couple of challenges that he's working on um like he's an amazing kid and goes to physiotherapy and speech therapy and that type of thing and um the great thing about that I guess is that he just knows that we have a community of people around us to help us when we need help physically or anything like that with our health so for him it means that um he's learned from Eddie that doctors nurses physiotherapists um occupational therapists they're all there to help you and they're your friends and they're um you know they're good people kind of thing so for him that has been an an a benefit we didn't see you know when he was born we didn't expect that he would also need help in different areas um but he has gone through that experience of seeing Eddie so unwell and that has meant that he's more comfortable in those environments as well um I think sometimes sometimes he um I mean he's sick so he's still getting his head around things you know when Eddie was diagnosed he didn't want to come into the hospital or anything like that because he was too scared to go into hospital um we're a year and a half into it now and you know sometimes he will come over and like hold Eddie's hand while Eddie's getting an injection or something like that I think yeah like I think it 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 helps teach children you know like he's a very he's a very fierce protector of Eddie (laughs) if he thinks at school or in the playground if anybody's bullying if he thinks they're bullying Eddie, he'll come racing over, charging over. And Eddie has to say, no, it's fine. We're just playing a game. Or, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's interesting the way that they develop. I don't know whether it's Ham's innate personality to be this protector or whether it's because of Eddie's illness. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still seeing what that's like for him. I know we try really hard to give them space um I guess it's yeah I guess it's something we're still really navigating trying to give them space so that Ronnie doesn't always feel like I'm you know so he feels like he's still getting attention because a lot of attention goes on Eddie with his managing his diabetes um yeah, I don't know. I'm still trying to work out what all of it. Probably imprinted with the same empathy that you have. You know, they, they model. They see people being kind, and I sort mm. of think, well, that's how they learn to be kind. I mean, I've got a couple of children with special needs, and I have one of my oldest ones was. Um, I was walking back from the shops with my little one, and he was still young enough to hold my hand. So I don't know whether he's about nine or ten or younger I can't remember but he all of a sudden let go of my hand and went racing up to his brother was getting into a taxi and when he came back when we caught up and he my, his brother had gone I said ah oh, did you run up to say goodbye to him he said I just checked he'd had his medication 
Oh. And I'm thinking, you're only a little wee kid, you know, but he'd obviously absorbed that through the family. Yeah. You know, you care for someone that needs a bit of extra help or some support or they're on medication or whatever's going on and they just check that. So I think yeah. whenever you do have a child in a family with special needs, all of the children, I've watched it with friends, you know, if they've had a child, another friend's got a child with Down syndrome and her children are all really kind. I think they've just... Yeah make some adjustments and realize it's not all about them they they just naturally yeah. make that adjustment and I don't think it's depriving in any way mm, yeah you know, you do feel that someone else is getting more attention but I think you come in and out of giving kids attention and you know if you're aware of their needs you'll be you'll be meeting both your children's needs or they'll let you know anyway <laughs> yeah they they definitely <laughs> will um yeah like I think um you know in a way as well some of Ham's needs are just as big as Eddie's um with the the you know challenges he faces and I know that with Eddie he's very you know he takes on this role of empowering him to you know feel strong and confident and not let anybody um push him around or you know so they both have this idea that they're you know that the things that are hard for them aren't bad things it's like this is just what life is and we um are gonna do the best that we can for each other and for our community and for Alfano and stuff like that. So I think they, I think the one good thing is to focus on something, as you said, like bigger than themselves. Like that, oh. this is. Um, they won't be so also, <laughs> or yeah, you know, they'll just be good people. Yeah, <laughs> and I think as well, people. one thing that's unique around having an immune compromised child is all of a lot of your friends are people you've met in hospital. So a lot of the children in your life are disabled children, immune compromised children, children um, battling cancer, that type of thing. Um, so the kids have always been around, probably more so than children without disabilities. Um, my kids have just always been around that. They've always been around their closest friends are kids with, you know, bone marrow disorders or um you know child cancer all those things and I think that in that way this is it feels quite normal to them I, I remember one of their friends saying that they've never spent a night in hospital and it just blew Eddie's mind he didn't know that there were kids out there who hadn't ever been to a hospital Aww. so I guess it's that normal for you like this is yeah, oh, love. your life as a child and that's your family and yeah and everybody and like you say they've got the helpers they've got the circle yes. they've got the yep. father that cares that you know is respectful around them and yeah yeah it's, it's, this is our community and yeah. yeah all part of it all together yeah mm. I was going to ask you a few you know about these experts we've gone right through those <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we've got a bit of time left. It doesn't matter if people talk a bit long. If we talk a bit long, it doesn't really. I mean, I know that one of your newsletters, and look, people sign up to Emily's newsletters. They are really cool. Um, <laughs> one of them, and one was one of your rants about these experts, and it was about a particular male who obviously didn't have any children. Ugh. 
So, um, yes, and I'm always a bit wary, but you talked about the sniff test. Now, just, you know, before we go, how about just a few tips how we can sift out the charlatans? And what do you say, what are the red flags that someone is not going to be helpful to you? Oh, yeah, I just... Well, you shouldn't be yeah. listening to this shit. I mean, okay, is it safe? Is it respectful? Does it feel right? But sometimes... Yeah you know you're, you're right there confronting these people or you're trying to reach out for help and which is absolutely lovely that you do you know like we all reach out for help for our kids when mm -hmm. they're not well or they've got some issues or anything like that and as a confident mother you do that because you don't expect to be judged um but how do you how do you what's the sniff test yeah so I mean I think that there are so many um yeah, like so many experts that, you know, are just so sure of themselves. So for me, the the way that I like sniff out, like, are, are they full of shit? Is basically like if they talk in absolutes, like if they say, you know, um, just this is exactly the way to do it and there's no other ways. You know, to me, as soon as they start saying that, you just go, nope. Because we know parenting isn't black and white. If they can't speak with any nuance, um, that's an absolute red flag to me. Um, I think that with a lot of parenting experts, with the one I was talking about specifically in that, it's like this real God complex where they think they're the one truth, the one person everyone should look to for to know what to do and I think if anybody talks like that you know that's immediately like to me that's not trustworthy and it's not going to help you um I think the other one is when they always talk about mothers and not parents like I see a lot of men um who are like have decided that they're parenting experts often when they don't even have children but you'll notice they always talk about mothers so if you have children like, and if they're coming out and saying, oh, if you put babies in daycare, you're ruining their brains and they're going to, you know, like. But it's the mother putting that child into childcare. It's not the father, yeah. is it? And they <laughs> will always say, mothers need to remember that childcare isn't blah, blah, blah. And they will always focus on mothers. So they'll say, mothers need to not be at work. They need to be at home with their kids. As soon as they only talk about mothers instead of parents, I'm like, they have an agenda, they have a view, and it's likely some old-fashioned misogynist bullshit. So, um, you know, I really feel like if you look at all of their comments, if they just keep saying mothers and don't acknowledge fathers being at home or the role of fathers, that means ignore them. And then my other one is if they always talk about studies, so if they say studies show, research shows, but they don't actually link to it or they don't say the university that the study's from or they don't um, give citations or links, that means that chances are they're just making up what they believe the study will say. So, <laughs> like, you get that a lot with sleep consultants. They'll say, no, actually, studies have shown controlled crying is fine for children, blah, blah. And you'll be like, oh, what study? And they'll be like, oh, well, you know, lots of research. And you'll be like, what research? Give me the link. And then when you finally get the link, it'll be, oh, a study of like three Labradors, you know. <laughs> it's, you know, it's never what they say. So, yeah, those are kind of my, um, my big ones. And I think just 
if you if they can't have a discussion that doesn't ignore you know the realities and complexities of what it's like living the way we are now then you know that's a big one because right now we you know a lot of us are in lockdown right now there's a global pandemic you know there are a lot of people like in New Zealand where I'm from 4,000 children uh, in emergency housing right now you know we have a housing crisis we have more women worldwide have lost their jobs due to COVID-19 and if they're not talking about that the impact on that if they're not talking about the impact COVID has on keeping family members apart so that grandparents can no longer help out with children um, so that mums can't leave the house if they're not talking about all of those things and the only sitting there going, oh, mums should do this, this, and this, don't trust them. You know, like, don't go down that, because all they're doing is just trying to give a soundbite to get more people on their website or buying their book or God knows what, you know, or to go to their seminars. And I think that those kind of things, that's what, I really hate the self-styled expert. It's like my... (laughs) my big thing and I think that's what I've noticed out of out of reading a lot of self-styled experts who all call themselves parenting experts because none of the people that I truly trust um as people I have learned heaps from about parenting like I really trust you and your advice with parenting and I just think well, Pinky wouldn't be standing up there going, I know all, and I, you know, all you need to do is... I'm pretty humble, there's no... (laughs) Even in my own family, there's no one way, and my friends, my kids actually call me no rules nanny for for (laughs) their grandchildren (laughs) can come and stay, and... (laughs) I mean, that's exactly it. I just kind of feel like, if it's not coming to you from a place of care and love and not even that just respect there's so little respect for mothers for the hard job that it is um and so I guess my thing is just you know if you wouldn't have this person over to your house for dinner (laughs) like don't trust them with the most important job that you'll ever do in your life you know, looking after your kids and raising them to be good, kind human beings who give back to their community. Like, that, I just think, don't, don't bother with them. They'll just make you feel crap about yourself and you don't deserve that. So, no, no, yeah. that is excellent advice. I absolutely love yeah. that. You know, and if they wouldn't come in, if you wouldn't invite them over for dinner, you wouldn't feel comfortable having them in your home with your mess and your kids and your yeah or whatever else is because you are when you take this the their advice which often is so sort of callous around children like the way they talk about babies and children to me often feels very callous like they're not human beings they're just like I don't know um but to me I'm like you're inviting that person into your home if you're taking the advice that they're giving and using it in your home when you know that I mean I still come back to what you've said about is it safe is it respectful um does it feel right but also just 
are they clearly making money from <laughs> from it and if it's all of those things don't bring that into your home because you are bringing them into your home when you use their you know so-called advice or you know by their bible it always makes me laugh when they when they use religious analogies for <laughs> all the things they do like you know their parenting bible and all that stuff so yeah yeah it'd be good to find just one if one way just one way worked it'd be good and none, no parents would be struggling but it's not actually like that our kids aren't little you know pieces of dough that we can just all cut out with a cookie cutter and they'll all be the same it just doesn't happen like that so yeah, yeah. have you got one tip that oh before we sign off where can people go and get more of your <clears throat> smart sassy <laughs> writing and fun you know you make it fun too oh thank you um so yeah if you just google emily writes weekly um i have a newsletter on substack um, and I'm at Emily Writes NZ on Facebook and Instagram. And it's yeah. W-R-I-T-E-S, which is quite obviously a nom to put. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I try and give my kids a little bit of privacy given the things that I talk about. So, yeah, which it can be a bit raunchy in the newsletter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Comment I just about one of the latest Netflix. Was it Netflix? It's on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the Netflix shows. There's some been some really fun. Um, <laughs> go to the movies before COVID and then write up about the movie. Um, yes, and I remember yeah. what was that, Tarzan or something like. That. <laughs> yes, Tarzan. Yeah. Review. So yeah, there's there's lots of laughs, and I think as mums we need lots of laughs too. So yeah. just one tip. And can we make it quite quick about how to be the mother you want to be? Okay, so um, I guess my tip would be that, you know, this was something another nurse told me when, when Eddie was very unwell. And she said, um, you only need a parent, the child that you have. Um, and, you know, you can follow their lead. And to me, that was like a really empowering thing because... I may not know what to do a lot of the time. Um, I may get confused and everything like that, but that's okay. I just have to keep trying to parent the child that I have and take their lead. And that's just what I try and do. And um, when I'm having those thoughts of doubt and things like that, I just look out the window and look at all the other houses around and think there are other parents. Um, you know, in the middle of the night, when you look out the window and you see those lights on, there are other parents doing exactly the same thing you are and they're all just trying to parent the babies they have like you're parenting the baby you have and it's a little secret sisterhood of no sleep so yeah you can do it I guess <laughs> oh, you can. Oh, that's beautiful tits up ladies pull up your big girl pants we can do this we are mothers in the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and 
check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find this support and information too.